Audio Conversation, recorded October 7th, 2010. I am very happy to say that I got to spend two hours talking with Richard Dolan. Uh, And if anyone has made it to this blog and made it to this audio podcast, I have to assume you have heard of Richard Dolan. He is the author of two great big fat books, and they are historical studies, uh, pieces of um, their history books. The first book is titled UFOs in the National Security State, and it's subtitled Chronology of a Cover-Up, 1941 to 1973. The second book, which I'm holding in my hand, is titled UFOs and the National Security State, The Cover-Up Exposed, 1973 to 1991. Uh, There's been a lot of talk of him working on his third book in this trilogy, which hasn't happened because he put it on hold for a while to work on a book with a co-author named Bryce Zabel. And this book is short, uh, 300 some odd pages compared to the, uh, you know, 600 some odd pages of these books. This book is called A.D. After Disclosure. And the subtitle is The People's Guide to Life After Contact. Richard sent me an advanced copy of the book, and it's a speculative study of the ramifications of an out-and-out disclosure event. He and his co-author, Bryce, uh, look at the subject from every conceivable angle. Well, let me not say that, that from a lot of different angles. And that is actually one of the things that I bring up in the the interview, is that uh, some of the angles that uh, might be avoided, and I try to get Rich to to speculate on those, and and trying to predict the future is is, uh, quite difficult, uh, if not impossible. But I do make a big attempt to egg Rich on into, uh, to get him to look at some, some of the more bizarre ramifications of this, this grand disclosure event. The interview runs about two hours and I was, I'm super happy with it. So I won't delay and I'll just jump right into it. Please enjoy. Rich, thanks so much for saying yes to this. Mike, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Good. And, um, I have the book in front of me and um, I've just finished up just just minutes before we uh, got the got on the phone here. I just read the final little wow. bit. I want to say it's an impressive undertaking, and I just was curious what the genesis of the project was, the After Disclosure book. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, um, a, about one year ago, in late 2009, uh, Bryce Zabel uh, contacted me. I didn't really know much about him, except uh, I I was familiar with his television show from the late 90s called Dark Skies. Uh, he was interested in working with me uh, in late 09, early 2010, not for doing a book like this, but he wanted to option uh, my two volumes of history because he was thinking of doing a TV treatment concerning that. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat. Uh, after a few conversations of that, <clears throat> we decided that we would we would form that relationship. Um, and our first few months of conversations really concerned how we might want to um, – how he might want to create a television or a cinematic treatment of of the material that's in UFOs in the national security state. But really, I think what happened is that by uh, February, March of 2010, our conversations were moving in a different direction. And we both discovered we had an, a longstanding interest in the topic that we ended up writing about, which is the whole concept of disclosure. Um, you know, he became aware that I, I had been speaking in conferences for five, six years at least on the challenges and opportunities of what might be a legitimate kind of UFO disclosure or an end to secrecy. 
uh, it's something that he him, he was also very interested in. And I think it had to be in uh, April of 2010 that we both sort of crystallized this and thought, you know, we've got this other cool stuff that we want to do, but let's put that on the back burner and let's do this other project, which we both realized we could write pretty efficiently. Um, I remember – uh, I mean, he's in Los Angeles. I'm here in New York State, so we're on opposite ends of the country. Lots of long-distance phone calls. But we uh, sat down, and I remembered uh, putting together our table of contents, and we did it right on the phone. I said, how do we want to organize this project? If we were to do it, um, let's break it down and decide how how we really want to treat it. Uh, from that conversation, actually, that the table of contents is almost exactly the same as how we laid it out that day. Um, we then just decided to set the project up. We did the whole book on Google Documents, uh, believe it or not. So the whole thing was an online project. Uh, we each had permissions to edit and uh, change anything else that the other guy had done. So we just went up online every day and saw what what work needed to be done, what chapters, who was going to work on what for what day. And the next thing we know, I mean, by the, the time uh, June rolled around, we had finished most of this book. Uh, what's funny is that after um, after the first initial draft of this book was done, <clears throat> when I go back over it now, it's very difficult for me to, to know exactly who wrote what particular passage in certain cases uh, because we both went over this so many times. And you were working with a, a tight deadline, which is you had not been working on that kind of deadline with your UFOs in the National oh, Security State books. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was a, a very different kind of project. Um, you know, I think in the first month, he really was pushing me, uh, cracking the whip, calling me, kind of knowing, I think, in his uh, in the back of his mind that R Richard Dolan doesn't normally like to work like that. Um, but, you know, I, I got into it. And, uh, you know, at the end of a six-month period, we ended up with a 320-page book uh, that – Certainly, I would not ever pretend as a comprehensive treatment of all the issues of a, of a true disclosure, but it was the best attempt we could try, and I think it does cover uh, a great many of the issues that very likely will come up in the aftermath of a true disclosure. Can you just define the term disclosure? I'm just asking you to because I know there's a lot of people that have different definitions of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fair question. Uh, who knows? I mean, disclosure. One of the well, a disclosure at the at the the bottom line of it is simply an admission by an established authority in our society, a, a recognized authority in our society, that the UFO phenomenon is real, and that it represents uh, an intelligence that is not not from our civilization. I think that's the bottom line of this a disclosure. One of the issues about that is the truthfulness of any kind of disclosure that we might be receiving. Uh, it's our both of our opinions that uh, that's not going to happen. There's not going to be a truthful disclosure, or at least there's not going to be a complete disclosure, not right away, and I don't think that would even be possible. Uh, ask yourself, if, if you were the president of the United States and uh, this was going to be something you were about to discuss with the world, you wouldn't you actually wouldn't be able to discuss all of the ramifications right up front. Uh, certainly a lot of this would have been classified. A lot of it might very well be scary. Um, a lot of it would have serious financial repercussions, very likely political repercussions. And so there's no question in my mind that 
any kind of disclosure event, A, is going to probably almost certainly be forced on the the decision makers. And then when it happens, uh, they're going to be dragged into this very likely against their will. Uh, and so we're going to give a disclosure by as many small pieces as they're able to get away with. The real dynamic, I think, of the early period following a disclosure statement will be uh, how effectively can the powers that be hold off this tidal wave uh, that'll be a demand for more and more information. Uh, that's going to be a very important issue, I think, in the first few weeks after any kind of important disclosure on UFOs. In the book, you, the, the early on in the book, there's a, a, a scenario that you create where the president of the United States uh, basically has a press conference, right. and and uh, there's some dialogue written in kind of political speak of what may be said by the president, right. and um, that uh, you know that is how how to say it. You know, when I when I in a very simplistic way, when I think of disclosure, I think well that's that's one way it could certainly unfold. And I'm very, just on a gut level, I'm very skeptical that that'll actually go down that way. I think it'll be more complicated than that. Um, could be. Could be. <laughs> could be. Well, I, let me ask you then, uh, when you think it might be more complicated, what kinds of scenarios are you thinking of? Well, I would think that, the, you know, that there'd be a, a program of like softening the public up. Uh, ahead of time, and that that often gets bandied about on uh, by uh, researchers who research the media and such. You know, that's right. the role of something. And I'm just going to go right back yeah. to to the last couple of weeks. Well, we had, uh, you know, one we had a press club meeting that was run by Robert Hastings at the right. end of September, where uh, you know there were folks speaking credible seeming folks with a military career or a former military career that were talking about uh, UFOs interacting with nuclear bases. And on one level, I mean, if this thing was as secret as it, as it seems to be, you know, why doesn't, why don't they send out the assassins and, and just, you know, end that, that kind of uh, press club meeting. And then also, also last week or within the last couple of weeks, there was a very curious statement that came out of the UN where they announced that a Malaysian astrophysicist with the very curious name of Mazalan Othman, and I will interject here, uh, <laughs> that uh, the first initial is M and the last name is Othman, and you put those two together and it spells Mothman. I'll, uh, I-, I won't editorialize on how weird that is, but uh, to make things even stranger, this story later turned out to be a hoax. But the initial news report presented this woman. She was basically appointed or designated to be the, I don't even know the term, the emissary or the, the uh, right. uh, to any future contact that we would have with, with extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. And that, that later turned out that sort of fizzled somehow in the press. But that was a very curious thing to, to make, you know, Reuters and big name, you know, press services. Well, a couple of things here. Um, I don't believe, in fact, that there is this uh, softening up uh, program that is behind the scenes to prepare us for disclosure. I know many people do believe this. I happen not to believe it. Um, In fact, I think, if anything, it's it's the opposite, that, in other words, that there is a a still, after 60 years, a concerted effort by uh, the mainstream power elite to to downplay this. Now, the, the, the problem that they have is that they are increasingly unable to stop an avalanche of information that in the world of 2010, I mean, this is not the world of 1960, all right? It, it is 
it's literally impossible for them to prevent the flow of information on UFOs from getting out. This is not the same world. This is a world of internet and YouTube and smartphones and all kinds of interconnectivity. And so what's happened is that um, mainstream news coverage, try as it might to ignore the UFO topic, and in fact I would argue it still generally tries to ignore, but it is incapable of truly ignoring it uh, the way that I think it would like the uh, the press conference that you referred to from last week uh, this had absolutely nothing to do with any government plan uh, this is uh, an, uh, simply organized by robert hastings he had planned it out actually early in 2010 hastings had been wanting to do this for some time he was determined to do it he and robert salas spent a lot of their own money to do it and in fact i watched that uh when it streamed live on cnn which was a cool thing that cnn did that but if you uh if you listen to the questions afterward uh there were a number of questions that <clears throat> journalists asked these these individuals most of them were very astute and good questions the two utterly retarded questions were asked by the two major representatives of the mainstream the washington post uh, reporter and then the reporter by gannett both asked absolutely irrelevant silly superficial questions that really had no place there and that uh, anyone listening could see were designed simply to belittle the whole topic so i'm not really seeing uh, this mainstream media effort to soften the population. Now, there are TV shows. Uh, I wrote an article just myself a few weeks ago on NBC's new show called The Event, uh, wondering, you know, or at least trying to look at that show in a context of disclosure. Uh, my own feeling is that these are, in all likelihood, not, you know, CIA-related programs of softening the public. I'm just, I'm personally seeing that. What I see is it's, if anything, the form of damage control and of uh, of disabling the topic, not not promoting it. Um, and then the other thing, the UN that that was a curious thing. I have to agree that's that was an interesting development. Um, but really, what could that portend? My suspicion uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if those elites who are in with the in crowd, so to speak, uh, are aware that something may in fact go down in the near future. We are living in very, very fast moving times. And I could see, I mean, the UN has been so um, out of the center of power since forever. Um, I might wonder that some group in, within the UN might just say, you know what, let's position ourselves just in case something does go down in the next few years so that we too have a, a starting point for entering this conversation when if slash when it happens that might be the reasoning yeah well as far as a concerted um uh effort a coordinated effort by by the elites to prepare us uh, i've just never been persuaded that this is really what they're trying to do i think what they are doing instead is reacting to the very dramatic changes that we as a civilization are going through yeah, you you mentioned that the uh, the UN may be positioning themselves. They may know something that the general public doesn't know, mm -hmm. and then they're setting themselves up so they don't look like fools, uh, you know, down the road. And I get that same sense within the last uh, few, well, what less than a year now, that the Vatican came out with a very curious mm -hmm. uh, set of announcements. Um, That's right. And it felt like they were, you know, covering their asses. They were they were positioning themselves so they didn't look like. You know, and I just get the sense that, you know, what do they know that we, the general public, don't know? And then I will also add that the Royal Society 
mm-hmm. came out and made a statement. And, and I've, I think there are few institutions on earth that are, that would be more cautious and conservative than, uh, you know, than the Vatican and the Royal Society. That's, that's exactly right. I chatted with Nick Pope uh, about the Royal Society um, gathering, which was earlier this year. <clears throat> and Nick, of course, isn't a member of the Royal Society, but he was he was there at the at the event and got to chat. And one thing that he pointed out to me was simply that the most interesting conversations were off camera, off, uh, you know, behind the scenes, as they always are. And in in those conversations, uh, I mean, unlike in the public venue, when no one talked about UFOs behind the scenes, many people, according to Nick Pope, talked about UFOs. Now, that doesn't mean that they were all believers, but it, he did say that many people raised the issue privately. It was like the elephant in the dining room, so to speak, that no one would refer to, but it was all right there. And the, the impression that he received is that there was very likely uh, a fair amount of support for the reality of UFOs. The problem is that these people or members of this organization are just in mortal terror of having anyone know that they believe in UFOs. And that, and, and upon the event of disclosure, that will that will flip flop uh, immediately. Then they'll be in mortal terror that they that they had been denying this issue for you know all their careers. This is what Bryce and I argue in our book. Um, I think among many of the institutions that will absolutely be rocked by uh, the end of secrecy uh, will be the scientific community. It's not necessarily science itself. I think science itself is going to thrive in a post-disclosure world. But I think that the scientists are going to, uh, you know, deal with a, a great deal of blowback, so to speak, from society, uh, and legitimately so. By the way, look, you know, these are people who uh, vociferously, almost fanatically, uh, often will deny the reality of legitimacy of the UFO phenomenon, and suddenly it's going to be in their face, and people are going to say, well, where the hell have you been all these years? Uh, you're supposed to be the smart people in our world, and you've, you've had your head up your ass. So, uh, And I think there will be a certain amount of uh, maybe even a loss of confidence uh, for a little while, and a lot of careers will be damaged. Um, but they'll get over it. They have to. We have no choice because uh, the world will not end. The world will continue. In fact, that's the whole point. Uh, there will be a, a post-disclosure world. How that will happen, when that will happen, that, those are interesting variables. And in fact, it might be useful for us to discuss You know, just why I, th- I think that there will be a disclosure. After all, um, I've talked to no shortage of people who believe that disclosure is impossible. Uh, my own opinion for the last number of years is that it is a bit of a paradox. Disclosure is impossible. Yeah, it is impossible. It's also inevitable. It's both of those things. It's impossible because the people who know this secret, the people who really control the, the bulk of the information on this, uh, the classified information, they have no incentive for giving the secret up. I think we can all see that. They have way too much to lose. They've developed uh, a very substantial clandestine infrastructure, I believe, uh, in order to handle this secret, uh, an infrastructure that has its own profit, uh, that has its own power, its own reason to be. And at this point, you have a secret that goes more than 60 years. You're going to be very hard-pressed to want to give that secret up. And so they don't really want to do that. Uh, the, the dynamic, though, that, or the variable in the equation is not the secret keepers, however. And it's not even 
the, the beings behind the UFO phenomenon. No, the real interesting variable in this equation is our own society. You see, that's what is going to force the disclosure. Uh, as I was saying, I mean, this is 2010, it's not 1960, and it also won't be 2030. In other words, we're on a trajectory of change that there is no parallel in human history for the kinds of changes that we are now experiencing. There just aren't any. And so we're changing so rapidly. We, and we have abilities discussing of having a global conversation that simply were not thinkable even 20 years ago, even 20 years ago. Um, and so we have abilities of recording things in the sky that just not, were not conceivable at that time. And these capabilities are only going to improve. Um, you know, it's not going to be very far into the future when probably every cell phone has its own HD uh, video camera on it, realistically. How long will it be? Ten years from now? Bless. Uh, this is all happening. And so what, what I think is that the day will come in, within our lifetimes, absolutely, in which an event occurs. Something happens. Something that is captured, something that is seen by thousands of people, something that for whatever reason is not possible to deny. Now, we've had moments in our, our world in the last couple of decades that might have been close. Uh, some people think of the Phoenix Lights incident of 1997. And I do think, in fact, that that did come close. Uh, we know from the statements of uh, then-Governor Fife Symington years later uh, he stated point blank that there was a great deal of panic at, at the upper levels of government as a result of this and that the press conference he held in which they brought out the, the goofy uh, guy dressed in the alien costume. The entire point of that was to disarm, to disable the topic and to kind of make it into a joke. But in fact, it was serious. Um, but anyway, the Phoenix Lights came close. Um, maybe the Stevensville sighting, in the terms of media coverage, might have gotten close. And that, and that, I, that was, you know, within, uh, you know, a few miles, or you know, uh, of of George Bush's ranch in Texas. Hell yes! And in fact, the last uh, data that researchers were able to get from the FAA on that sighting, according to FAA radar, showed that object, this unknown object, headed off exactly in the direction of the Crawford Ranch. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean aliens are going after George Bush? Does that mean that the, the Stevensville sighting was a, was a black op of some sort? Well, I don't know, but the fact is that there's obviously a relationship there. So um, my point simply in terms of a disclosure event is that these types of scenarios, the Stevensville sighting, the Phoenix Lights, uh, and there are others. Uh, there are others that have also come close to – maybe pr you know promoting discussion of a dis of a disclosure at the highest level it, it hasn't happened it hasn't forced a disclosure but that doesn't mean that simply because they failed in the past that they're going to keep failing in the future everything keeps changing and uh, i i maintain that really even within a decade it could happen that a um, an event occurs something unforeseen uh, and in the technology of the next decade or so, or the next two decades, we may very well have capabilities that we are not able to envision even now that will allow us to capture, uh, record, and to communicate uh, sightings of UFOs that just can't be denied. And when that happens, 
that's going to put the secret keepers into a position that's going to be a very, a very difficult spot. They're going to have to make a decision. Do they continue to deny or do they get ahead of the game, come clean, and then hope, hopefully, <clears throat> from their point of view, try to, to manage the public discussion on this topic? See, that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, what, what they don't want to do is to lose control completely of the topic. And so I think what that will do when the time comes is they're going to try to get out in front, control the spin to the maximum extent possible. And uh, in any post-disclosure scenario, as, as I maintain, the primary dynamic, at least for a while, is going to be how much truth comes out. Uh, there's going to be pressure from below, from the people, to have it all out. And there's going to be pressure from the other end to uh, restrict that flow of, of truth to the maximum extent possible. And that's one of the things I'm going to, if this, in the event that this does happen, uh, and I'm sitting there watching the press conference, <clears throat> and uh, the thing that I will be very concerned about is that this, this spin, which I fully suspect will take place, I mean, there's no political announcement that doesn't have, uh, you know, layers and, and layers of spin associated with it, right. um, <clears throat> is that this will... Oh, I just am quite fearful that that they it'll be somehow manipulated to be used to their advantage, and uh, you know in the darkest scenario they would be clamping down and, cr- and using this to create a new brutal police state. Uh, right. Oh, you know, nine eleven would well, be the perfect I, I, example. I, I, you know? Yes, I I think it's a real possibility. It's an absolute real possibility that 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 uh, a disclosure would take that type of dark turn that you're referring to. And you just mentioned 9-11, which I, uh, I I don't remember if you and I have discussed it, but I certainly believe that 9-11, uh, the official version, has been one series of lies after another. And so uh, a, an event used by the elites to establish, really, in the United States, a legal revolution that could not otherwise have, have taken place. And disclosure could very well be used for that purpose, too. Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. And and uh, and actually, you and I have discussed nine uh, eleven. I think at some point. Um, and, Pro- and just yeah. so the folks know that you and I have have met uh, on a few occasions at various conferences, mm-hmm. and um, that would be a very real fear. You know, I'm sure somewhere in the file cabinets of the powers that be, you know, exists a plan. All they have to do is, you know, open the file cabinet, pull the plan out, or, you know, a choice of 50 plans, maybe. Right. Um, you know, and I'm quite certain that this kind of stuff is, is in, is, uh, you know, fit right into the plan. Uh, right. You know, how to spin this to, to, you know, maximize uh, government control. Absolutely. But, but see, the, the thing is, I mean, I think, uh, you know, being fearful of the, uh, of their ability to, to control spin, that's understandable. Um, but what's going to happen is that once the the topic of ET slash UFO is legitimately on the table of our public discourse, you see, uh, my contention is that it's it's going to be very difficult for them to dominate the spin on this the way that they have up till now, because when you make some admission that after all these years, yeah, this topic is legitimate. <laughs> you see, that's going to be very difficult uh, for them to maintain legitimacy and uh, a sense of um, uh, any kind of public trust over what they say. Um, so I think I think there, it's not going to be easy for them. Uh, it has been much easier up till now, um, absolutely, and and it will 
it's it's going to be difficult for people like ourselves even in a post-disclosure world because after all mainstream media is still going to be shot through with intelligence community assets obviously that is still going to be applying their trade for the national security apparatus however uh, it's also true that any admission of the reality of ufos is going to have to be an admission that they've lied for 60 plus years all right and so in other words this discussion is going to be open on the table and I, as I see it, I think everything is going to be up for grabs. And so controlling the spin is not going to be a slam dunk for these people, in my own, as I see it. And it's, it's going to be a, a battle. Um, you know, we fight a battle today in this world for truth. We're going to be fighting a battle in a post-disclosure world uh, just as much for that truth, maybe even more so, because the stakes will even be higher. And and I just think of, um, you know, it, at the press conference, you know, I, uh, the president stands up there and says, yes, I can say that we have evidence that there is a non-human intelligence that has been visiting at us. And those little lights in the sky, those little dots in the sky, we feel that those are valid. And those things that we've been calling UFOs, we have a knowledge that those are real. Now, right. the first uh, reporter raises his hands and says, you know, what about all these reports of abductions and people being taken out of their bedrooms at night? You know it, right? Exactly. That's, that's going to be right on the table. That is going to that is going to be very hard to uh, to spin. I uh, agree one hundred percent. They they might say uh, they may try to deny it. Um, they may try actually to say, well, uh, most of those UFO reports you saw actually really were not ET craft. Uh, people really did blow that totally out of proportion. He might say, yeah, there's been a certain small number of uh, UFO reports that really were true UFOs. Uh, the abduction phenomenon, uh, he, he might try to say, we don't really have any evidence that that's truly taking place. Or, <laughs> see, it depends on how brave he is. He might say, um, we are looking into that right now. you got to wonder how long that'll, that'll work. Um, at a certain point, Certainly, there's going to be many, many people who are going to argue persuasively that abductions are real, and that's going to be one hell of an issue. Absolutely. What does the government do? This is – see, these are some of the reasons why the secrecy has been in place all these years. One of the, one of the things that came really home to me in the course of writing this book, even if disclosure doesn't happen or at least doesn't happen the way I think it might, um, looking at the dramatic – ways that our society is likely to be transformed that enough that was enough to convince me why the secrecy is in place this is a a, a game changer in every way it's uh, something that once the secret is out is going to change everything uh, and and government powers may have one hell of a difficult time in explaining abductions and and that's an issue that will not go away and as well as their own complicity in in it in, to the extent that not telling I mean, think about it as an abductee. You have an experience that for many of these people has been traumatic. For many of them has been so intimate, so difficult, they can't talk to anyone about it. And then what happens is, to the extent that it is discussed in public, it's uh, a type of ridicule. Uh, and so that that's something that could be really prime lawsuit material in a post-disclosure world, class action lawsuit against the government itself by saying you allowed potentially millions of people to go through their lives being victimized, being ridiculed like, like a rape victim, okay? 
and you didn't do a damn thing to help these people deal with with this traumatic experience, which you knew was absolutely real. Uh, you guarantee that there there will be a lot of lawyers willing to take that case, and uh, they they might have a very good case. So, uh, if if you're in the hot seat in in the in the president's Oval Office, this is not going to be a fun topic to deal with. And how exactly he's going to deal with it, this is going to be very difficult. But it seems to me that at a certain point, it will be inevitable that they're going to have to come up with it. They're going to have to say, yes, this is going on. And then they're going to try to control spin on that. They'll say, well, it's, it's, it's not a violent thing. Uh, they've done this uh, for scientific purposes, and we haven't been, we have not been able to stop them. Yes, it's true. It's something like that, and well, we'll just hope for the best. I mean, you know a little bit about my history, and and uh, you and I have talked about it personally, and and I have been right. very open about it on this uh, the format of my website and my blog okay. and my and what I've written about, where I have a set of life experiences that are very right. difficult for me to quantify. Um, you know, uh, I will say straight up, uh, Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs, in no uncertain terms, when I met with them, you know, right. uh, told me exactly what they thought, and they they considered me a uh, UFO abductee. Uh, right. I I simply cannot say that about myself. So it's okay. that, but I I can say very strongly that something uh, has has intersected with my life that is right. very bizarre and very very challenging to to uh, integrate into my daily life and my right. ongoing life um that said when i look at this disclosure issue i will say it feels very personal to me so uh mm-hmm. um so there's a uh there's this movement there's an exopolitical movement out there mm-hmm. and i'm a right. little and i'm i'm a little bit um Oh, I don't want to say offended, but it just seems that I just want to say naive in a lot of ways that that something is going on in that movement that is just a, it almost has the zeal of of like a budding religion, which frightens me, uh, and that's just a I, you know that's just an uh, interpretation I have. Well, there's certainly uh, there's a definite school of thought, if we want to put it that way, or philosophy among uh, the, the UFO crowd, okay, that looks at, uh, at contact as really a, a wholly positive thing, or at least as a primarily positive thing. Uh, there, in fact, I think that's a growing, not a shrinking movement um, among people who, of people who, who feel that there are these other dim- uh, entities, maybe they're of another dimension. Uh, they're not necessarily guys from another planet. Uh, they're actually more angelic than anything else, and they're they are trying to lead us, according to this argument, into uh, a higher level of consciousness. And we've all heard this. Uh, maybe that's the, the what you're referring to. There is certainly a very strong group of people that are out there, and this is what they believe. And, and it's natural for them to want to have a disclosure, right? There's no downside to it. According to that philosophy, the government and the military are all the bad guys. The ET are all the good guys. Uh, The government's preventing us from interacting with these good ETs, and therefore we must have disclosure to move ourselves onto the next level of our our development. Now, I I have some sympathy with that, but I certainly don't – don't agree with every aspect of it as well. Um, uh, as critical as I have often been of government secrecy of UFOs, and I am very critical of it, uh, that doesn't mean that I don't have some sympathy with their situation. Um, I also happen to believe that 
the secret keepers may themselves not really know fully what they're dealing with. Um, in other words, whether these other beings are truly extraterrestrial or whether they are uh, dimensional or interdimensional in some way, uh, are they fully biological? Or are they artificially intelligent machines of some sort? Are they genetically created organisms? It's not necessarily clear that even uh, the, like the so-called majestic group or the, the what what Bryce and I call the breakaway group that um, that they necessarily know the answers to that. They may very well not know the answers of fully of what they're dealing with, nor, um, even more importantly, the intentions of these other beings. Um, it, there are a lot of possibilities here. It could be that these beings may want little to do with this. It may, it may be that they want something very specific, like our DNA. It may be that they want our bodies. Some people have even argued they want our souls. Some people believe they want our world. Uh, all of these have to be on the table in any kind of reasonable discussion of the UFO phenomenon. Um, arguments that some people have put out that these beings are definitely peaceful, uh, peaceful because otherwise they would have taken us over by now. But I don't buy that for an instant. I don't find that persuasive at all. Um, they may be the most patient creatures, and <laughs> they may be far more patient than we are. They may have a very long timeline, and they may not mind that. There are a lot of possibilities here, um, and I think it's we have to be responsible to ourselves to look at the all of these possibilities: the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. Um, and and this is why you know ironically i think we ha really have to consider the the likelihood that even in a post disclosure world um we may be in the unsatisfactory position of not knowing a lot more about these other beings than we do already because it's very unlikely that a disclosure is going to be accompanied by uh, a little gray alien going up to the podium next to the president and introducing himself uh, somehow that doesn't strike me as, as a likely possibility. Mm. It's going to be a challenge for for any um, any person of authority to c persuasively convince the entire world of exactly what we're dealing with. You know, I do it could be know. very very difficult situation. And and it I think be that a mess a, a messy form of disclosure really. And I'm just thinking of the times I've spent. Uh... You know, I, one of the things I've done in the last uh, several years is I've made a real deal effort to seek out and talk to folks who claim the abduction or the contact experience. And, yeah. and you know, coupled there's some parallels. One is that that a bunch of the same stories show up over and over again. And the other interesting um, fact is that they there are very distinct differences in people's stories. They're very profound differences. And one of the things that that seems universal is that we're dealing with something, just people's stories, if, when, when they're repackaged by a researcher like Bud Hopkins or Dave Jacobs, you know, they come out with this, there's sort of a tidy narrative, you know, and when you talk to the people directly, it's not tidy at all. It, it feels like something is, is intersecting with their very consciousness. They're dealing with something on a, on a almost, uh, interdimensional level that mm -hmm. is incredibly, confusing to try to deal with and and i'll i'll relate something that uh whitley streber talks about and i've also heard other people say this directly that um those gray aliens mm. 
to be in their presence is not an easy task. It, it is not right. easy to be in the same same room with them. It is uh, almost as if they uh, induce a form of fear and a form of of uh, disorientation that's almost crippling to the to the people who interact with them. And and I don't foresee that changing. So so uh, that that's this, this is a very like what if the disclosure phenomena is accompanied by you know, them actually being here, them making an arrival. Right. Right, that's possible. And in fact, um, we, I don't really, no, we did not uh, elaborate explicitly on that specific scenario. Although I think uh, much of the book, you know, certainly deals with a post-disclosure world and all the changes that it would affect in our own society. But uh, the possibility that they will come down as they are and, as it were, introduce themselves openly to like, us. Like the scene out of um, the original, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, this maybe um, in, a, in a future revision of the book, uh, which actually Bryce and I have really thought about doing, this might be a scenario that we want to, that we may broach. But... Um, I've often thought about this as well, Mike. In other words, I, uh, the fear factor response. There are no shortage of, of cases, just UFO sightings, forget encounters with ET or other beings, in which people, they completely lose it. They freak out, go panicking, um, screaming in, in certain cases. Not, not all reactions are this way, but there's a certain percentage of them in which the witnesses do. They And then afterwards, they, they'll often you know, just express surprise that they panic that badly. But what I've often suspected is exactly that these other beings know how to get into our heads. Um, certainly the United States military has weapons that are able to induce those types of psychological reactions. Uh, it's largely suspected, even as far back as the Gulf War of 1991, that uh, the U.S. military was employing uh, acoustic weaponry and other types of uh, weapons that were designed to induce fear uh, in the enemy uh, soldiers. Um, and so presumably any any species that has a, a better understanding of science and maybe understands the, the human brain even better, sure, they'd be able to do that. They'd be able to scare the, sh the hell out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can Try swear. To this, this is gonna... <laughs> All right. They might scare the shit out of you uh, uh, due to uh, technological capabilities or perhaps even more intimidating, I suppose, is if they are able to do it as part of their brain function, some kind of intense telepathic ability to get inside your head. And that's a real possibility. One of the things about these beings is that they appear to be telepathic in various ways. Um, and so how is it that we have a relationship with such entities? This is a very difficult question. Uh, I don't know if any of us really has an answer to that. Um, it is something that we explore and we try to, to deal with them. What I think is going to happen, realistically, is that any kind of interaction that we have with them, and by the way, I think there's probably more than one them as well, but any of this is, I think, going radically to speed up our own uh, technological and probably uh, uh, intellectual development as a species. I think it's going to be a real jolt and an eye-opener and is going to transform us and, and rapidly increase our own development. One of the things that um, I firmly believe is that we as a civilization are 
we're not on a, a linear trajectory here in terms of our own development. We're on a very much an exponential um, path here. Uh, I mean, just all you have to do is look at us over the last 1,000 years and 10,000 years, and you see essentially human society not changing an awful lot until about 150, 200 years ago. And then suddenly, whammo, we um, discover the scientific method and industrialization and advanced science, and suddenly we have completely, utterly transformed ourselves, really, in the, in the course of one to two human lifetimes. That's nothing. We've gone from a, a world of century after century of horses pulling carts and now we're in a world of of uh, microcircuitry and um, nanotechnology and advanced uh, soon to be advanced artificial intelligence and uh, you know global internet interconnectivity I mean my god and all and, like in, in the snap of a finger cosmically yeah no I'm just thinking my the you know the lifetime of my father what he's seen it and uh, you know what the thing that shows up in this you know the peep, the contactees, the the abductees that that you know they interact with these folks, and I have my bookshelves are lined with you know, books on the abduction phenomena by researchers as well as by people writing their own first person experiences. The thing that comes up over and over again is that we have we're more technologically advanced than we are spiritually advanced, and we have lots of technology and very little uh, spiritual maturity to deal with it. Which you know there's that sure feels like the truth. Um, yeah. And, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, but here, you know, consider something. Uh, I've often wondered uh, what what would what would it take for our civilization to actually help uh, most of us to become ready to interact with such a very advanced uh, group uh, species? Uh, is there anything in our current po uh, popular culture? Is there anything in our political culture or in our educational culture that would enable us to? get bring our a game to the table and I, I say the answer is no there's nothing in other words we're not really on i mean we've got a technological development that's extraordinary but really our our actual cultural development is as you might even argue is regressing however there is one thing that will happen once uh once we have an undeniable contact situation that is out in the open uh, I really believe you're going to have a lot of people in this world asking the same question, which is, what the hell have I been doing with my life? Because what's going to happen is once we see that there are these other possibilities available in our world, uh, that there are these other intelligences that operate on a vastly different level than we do, uh, I, I can guarantee there's going to be many of us asking ourselves why you know what have we been doing with our lives other than watching television for you know 40 percent of our lives or whatever so um my my hope is that an open contact will kickstart, uh, as it were a kind of higher consciousness and i really do think that that's possible um there's a lot of possibilities this is one of the opportunities of a disclosure is is a truly higher consciousness not the kind that i often hear um from from certain people in this field, that is, we're going to um, ascend uh, to the, the the next density or level of consciousness. Oh I'm, yeah, I'm they have lots of vocabulary words to define yeah, those. You know, but, exactly. But what I do think is likely is that we we have we will have a genuinely higher, greater consciousness, in the sense of a greater awareness of the of the possibilities of what a meaningful life can be, and I really think that that's a possibility, uh, but I don't think we're we're on that path 
as a society on our own, but I think we can be if we get uh, uh, kicked in the teeth, so to speak, by a disclosure event and people, yes, they'll be shocked into it. They'll be for a little while running around in circles pulling the hair out of their head, but I think once uh, we as a society calm down, uh, which will have to happen because life has to go on, uh, we then may ask some some more meaningful, deeper questions about well, the meaning of life and the meaning of who these other beings are and and what we can do to get ourselves up to that level. I could see that. And and I would hope that it plays out that way. And you know, I'm purposely <clears throat> playing the role of uh, of um, devil's advocate here in, in the sense that this is you know I foresee this being whatever goes down. I foresee it being very complicated. Um, so, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I certainly would not argue against yeah, that. Okay, good. No, good. So Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs are both uh, abduction researchers, and uh, they have reluctantly come to the conclusion that somehow the, this is not just a, a, a random bunch of scientists here to visit us uh, on little metal spaceships. Uh, just collecting some data the way we would go into, uh, you know, like the jungles of Borneo and, and you know, and, and study mm-hmm. ants. The implication from their research is that they, this is an, a program and that somehow there's a beginning, middle, and end to their purpose. And the implication is, and they state it straight up, is that there is some sort of genetic hybrid being that has been created in both these uh, folks have been studying the phenomenon long enough that uh, what started out as women seeing little babies and having false pregnancies and having uh, gynecological examinations in uh, that imply some sort of reproductive study or some sort of reproductive right. program, uh, these little babies, you know, they've had 30 years to turn into fully mature adults, and their research now seems to state that these adult hybrids are walking among us right and yeah it's a possibility that that uh, certainly we we also address in our book um what do you do when uh, if it comes out if we decide that there are uh, non-humans walking among us or uh, not you know individuals who are not fully human walking among us um, what will that do to social cohesion what will that do to things like vigilantism i was going to say and, and then coming from the, and this is i take this very personally because you know i have been very vocal on online talking about my experiences and um you know i just worry that you know the five minutes after disclosure there's going to be um pitchforks and torches outside my house but um but, uh, who knows? Yeah, uh, so. I mean, I'm, I'm going to think probably not. I'm going to think probably uh, think not too. But it re- does realistically, like... <laughs> y- you might be seen more as a, as a as a victim uh, who is actually to get some sympathy, maybe uh, rather than as someone who's you know working on the inside. Uh, but I think there will be the proverbial pitchforks outside the doors of some other people uh, who have been keeping this secret and who have been perceived as as being in on the on the cover up. So yeah. Uh, I doubt that um, that people who are abductees are going to be the widespread target of, of violence. God, I mean, who knows how to predict these things? But i i wouldn't I wouldn't think that that's the case. Yeah, yeah, and I very much hope it's not the case. But uh, this is the kind of stuff that can make you feel paranoid. But it will be an issue. The, the whole hybridization issue, and and on a on a deeper level, um, the whole idea of infiltration by these others. In fact, that's the word that, that Bryce and I like to use. Not necessarily alien, although that, the word might come in once in a while, or ET, that may work 
word come in once in a while. But really, the fact is, as I say, we don't really know for a fact that they're ET. We don't know what they are. What we know is that they're not us. They're other. And so the word that we use in this book is, is the others, which I think works at least uh, for the context of this book. But the point is, what do we do if we discover that they have infiltrated? Uh, what's an interesting uh, parallel is in the television show on NBC right now, the event, this is in fact part of the scenario. Uh, after the third episode, which is all that's been out now. Yep, and I've seen uh, all of them, and, I, and that, I'm watching it purposely just yeah. for the the, the the sociological commentary as well as just like you know what you know what sure. is the popular culture uh, entertainment right. value. Okay, keep going there. And, and uh, right, and and these others, let's call them that. We don't know what they are. They're, they're human looking, but they too have infiltrated our society, and they have done so at the highest levels. Uh, one of the characters in that show is is. Uh, very tight with the director of the CIA and is in charge of investigating the aliens. And so uh, it's a very – it's a, a neat twist to that plot. So they've infiltrated. And what happens uh, if if a variation of that is true? I've often felt if I were an alien uh, observing humanity, I would be very, very interested in humanity right now. Right now because we are – about to leap right into their world. This is how I see it. Technologically, we're going to have some very formidable capabilities. We already do, and we're going to, those are going to get more formidable in another 20, 30, 50 years. And so if I were a non-human interacting in some way with an interest in Earth and an interest in humanity, I would want to have, uh, so to speak, my guys on the inside uh, managing that process for my own for my own purposes, whatever those may be. And so this is, this is a question. It's an issue that undoubtedly will come up. Have we been infiltrated? Are there, is there a fifth column? Uh, guaranteed that's going to be an issue that will come up, and, and there may be some real validity to looking into it. Who knows? Again, if, if I were a non-human dealing with humanity, it certainly would be my goal. It's very interesting that you're, you're in essence, working with like a Hollywood scriptwriter, um, on this, because I think that it takes that that form that creative process, uh, you know that that speculation. Uh, you know, we live in a world where where we can reference. You know, you just referenced a television show. We can reference these things right. and very yeah. quickly wrap our minds around this kind of stuff. Uh, the thing when you said that they may have, you know, what we you know you don't expect to see, you know, President Obama at the end of his disclosure press conference. Uh, you don't expect to him like, to pull a curtain out and invite a little gray alien on, you know, to stand next to him at the podium. But what may happen is there may be a, a hybrid being or something like that that may be acting as an emissary. I'm just speculating myself now. Uh, yeah, right. Absolutely. Another theme, incidentally, that has been dealt with uh, to some extent in television. I mean, to some extent, the TV show V... Um, didn't have a hybrid as an emissary, but they had their emissaries, right? And uh, maybe that could happen. Um, there's a, certainly so many possibilities here, and uh, predicting the future is always a is a no win game because you're almost never going to get it right. Um, what what Bryce and I just tried to do is maybe kickstart a conversation here. Uh, you mentioned the fact that he's a Hollywood writer, and and um, I actually feel really fortunate that I've had the chance to work with him on this. Uh, he and I each bring a different skill set to this problem. 
um, I have a very good handle, I, th I think, on the history and the overall reality of the UFO phenomenon to some extent. Um, and I, I like to think I can tell a pretty good story. But, but in Bryce's case, he tells a different kind of story because as a scriptwriter, as a television producer, his, his job is to make very concrete the ideas that we often discuss conceptually. Um, and so it was a very good partnership. I feel that um, we each sort of nudged each other uh, to think a little more, a little bigger than we had normally uh, attempted to do. And so um, what, one of the, the real contributions that he, he brought to this project, as I see it, is this very vivid sense to, to, to um, visualize a lot of the concepts that I've been talking about for years and and he helped me to visualize and helped me to to write some of these things out too so i'm really glad about that and i think uh, that that kind of thing is important especially i mean i come from a, a an advertising background and um it's you know i thought that that helped the book out a lot um to have that oh drama i guess yeah one of the things we did between most of the chapters is we created a series of these little vignettes these little slices of life and, you know, we'd say in the introduction, we're not trying to deceive anyone. These are obviously fictional representations, and they're each just one or two pages at the most. Uh, but they are our attempt to portray different elements of a post-disclosure world uh, to give people maybe a picture of how things might be, or at least to, to prompt people to imagine how things might be in, in such a situation to ordinary people, just to regular folks. Uh, how this might affect you and your neighbor and so on in, in their direct day-to-day -day lives. So the, in, on your website, um, the After Disclosure website, which I'll make sure is linked in the show notes, uh, there are some, uh, looks like, publicity photos of you and Bryce. And you have, yeah, you yeah. have uh, ties and your sleeves are rolled up and, and you're uh, at a table full of paper. And uh, the Woodward and Bernstein-ish uh, look to that is undeniable. Did you do that on purpose? To, to well, we, we wanted to do a really uh, cool kind of set of publicity shots, uh, certainly. No, we didn't go into it with a Woodward-Bernstein idea. But I think once we, um, we started doing the shoot, we had a really cool photographer working with us. Um, we thought, really... We, you know, no one's cool enough to do the Kennedy brothers thing, so we just gave to give that right up. <laughs> oh, just sort of like well, you're not, you're not going to be playing playing touch football on the White House lawn together, is what? You're no, right, 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 right. So we thought, well, um, really, what are we doing? And we are, and we are investigators. Um, uh, Bryce isn't just a, a TV guy; he was a CNN reporter for years, and uh, really got his start in journalism. Uh, and that's what we do: we investigate. Um, I was actually wearing those clothes, and I, I think he was wearing those clothes. We didn't, we didn't dress up in any unusual way. Anyone who knows me knows that's uh, in public. That's always how I dress. I know. I've actually time. asked, I've asked Karen once if she's ever seen you just like in a pair of blue jeans and t-shirt, and um, she looked at me and she said, <laughs> she said, "No, I never have." That's interesting. It's like so he mows well, the lawn in a suit like that. Just, yeah, he does mow the lawn in a suit like that. So. Not always. I'm not quite that uptight, but I, <laughs> but uh, I like to dress nicely. Yes, and. And so I think anyway, it's important, we, we and I give you credit for that in yeah. in the the uh, the uh, UFO community. And a community is a funny word because I don't really see any community uh -huh. at all sometimes. But but it's uh, I think it's important that um, that you know the face that gets presented to the public is is uh, you know respectable. So you know it's so completely. easy to make us look like clowns, and it, I just don't want to give many ammunition. Yeah, it's very important for me personally always to. Uh, 
Well, I mean, it's it's not hard because I I truly am that way. But I like to portray myself in as as uh, serious and way as I'm able to, at least in the public domain on this. This is a serious topic. It's not a big joke. Uh, it's something that really matters. It's important to, to millions and millions, actually billions of people, even if they're not fully aware of it. And I, and I, and, and coming from my point of view, like I take this subject very seriously. It is not entertainment. And that is one of the big problems I have with, oh, coast to coast oftentimes seems like it's being played for entertainment value. And, and I just uh, have it just it just touches a nerve in me when when that uh you know these issues are are treated um you know as entertainment value it's it's well, I, I can, yeah i can appreciate that certainly um you know a situation like we're, with coast to coast um there anytime you're doing a commercial venture like in radio or television and something that has to be on you know five nights a week Right. You have to – they have to be mindful of entertainment value because bottom line is if they're not engaging people, not everyone's going to be an intellectual. Not everyone's going to be out there to try to save the world. Some people just want to hear some good stories. And, and the fact is if you're playing the ratings game, you need to generate advertising. You need to make a profitable operation. Uh, television and, and radio, they – they make that compromise every single day, and it's frustrating for serious-minded people who are interested in these issues. And the fact of the game is that uh, in the commercial um, element of our society, there's – I have not seen any way around that. I've done television myself, and uh, I see the compromises that are made every single time. Absolutely, absolutely, and I and I have a hard time even watching um, like something like UFO Hunters just because it's yeah. edited. You know, like the content sometimes is pretty good. You know, there's actually there, right. but it's just right. edited and presented in this way that just that 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 repels me. It's it's uh, it, it yeah. plays so much to the to the lowest common denominator. Um, they've all got their they've they've got their purpose, and and uh, I guess my uh, one admonition for them is. You know, knowing that you have to make the compromise into the world of entertainment, try to make it as meaningful as possible. Anyway, if they can do that. And I and on that subject, and on my desk here, as I'm talking to you, I have both your books: the uh, the uh, UFOs in the National Security State, the first volume from 1941 mm-hmm. to 73, and then the second volume from 73 to 1991. And I do have to give you credit in the that neither of these books have a tacky, airbrushed, computer-generated illustration of a gr- alien face with the great big eyes on it. <laughs> they are very tasteful, both these covers. Cool. And, and uh, the After Disclosure cover, is that the cover you're sticking with, the one that shows up on the website? In, uh, yeah, right, right, right. And it looks like it's so, meant to be set side-by-side with the, um, the, the second volume of the, the National Security State series. It's a tasteful cover, in my own opinion. I'm rather, I like the AD cover. Good, good. I'm all for that. It just and once again, it's just like the same thing as like you know wearing a suit in public, uh, is is having a tasteful UFO book. And I, I think of uh, Leslie Kane's book. Um, well, absolutely, Leslie's book. Another person who I think occupies the same ground as Leslie in the UFO spectrum would be uh, someone like Nick Pope. Uh, these are people who really every everyone who's doing productive research on this has their own place to fill. They're only their only their own spot. Uh, Leslie Kane and Nick Pope, for example, occupy the, the really the most public mainstream um, place to be. In other words, you find neither of them really ever gets into publicly their opinion on 
what the UFO phenomenon even means, really. Uh, Leslie's book is extremely conservative, very cautious. For an experienced UFO investigator, you read it and you think, well, yeah, you know, I'm familiar with all of that. But the value of her book is that she found a way uh, to, to reach the skeptical mainstream media, which almost, you know, as a rule, does nothing but but dismiss and, and often ridicule the UFO phenomenon. And she was able to present an argument in a way uh, because she didn't draw overt conclusions about the nature of the phenomenon except to say that it's real and it's serious and our own authorities are taking it seriously. She didn't overreach, in other words. Now, uh, this is a topic that is of such profound implications that really, to, to get a full grasp of it, you, you can't just stop there, obviously. There's so much more involved in the UFO topic. Um, but again, my point is that there's a, a definite place, an important place, for these very conservative studies that, um, that only go so far, and that is their purpose. Their purpose is to open up a conversation with the rest of the world, and I think her book does that very well, as does uh, uh, you know, Nick's several books on the topic and his public statements. Hey, in the, the second volume of the UFOs in the National Security State, you do talk about a uh, a breakaway part of the government, and whether this is strictly uh, the government or whether it is uh, interlocking with the uh, private sector in a way that uh, that clouds everything. But that was really fascinating. Yeah, I'd be really curious to to hear you uh, talk about how this factors into the the uh, after disclosure set of um, probable or speculative events. Regarding the, the breakaway group, um, this is an idea. Breakaway civilization is, is something that I, I introduced as a concept um, in the second volume of UFOs in the National Security State. Um, I wrote, wrote about it at some length in the beginning of Chapter 9 of that book, um, and then we really um, expanded on it quite a bit in the course of writing AD. And Here's the idea of what I, I believe is actually the case. Uh, what I think what we have is a kind of invisible empire in our world, um, and this is within the clandestine community. So imagine, for example, if it's the 1940s and uh, an event like the Roswell crash did happen that did involve exotic technology not made by our civilization. So pretend for a minute that that happened. That's what I think did happen. So if that happened, now you've got a, a secret group that has access to this technology, right? And they need – they can't just sit on their hands for 60 years looking at it. Obviously, they're going to want to study it. They're going to want to understand it. And so now what you automatically do is you they create a, a very secret infrastructure for which to do that, with which to do that. And at a certain point, it seems to me that they're going to make some breakthroughs. They're going to make some new levels, new types of understanding. Some of these might translate right away into money-making ventures, very possibly the transistor might be one such thing. Maybe uh, improvements in integrated circuits or laser technology. And or a high computer chip, sure. Absolutely, or fiber optics or high tensile fibers and so forth. Um, but it, it's quite possible, I think, that certain discoveries and certain developments might not be shared with the rest of the world. What if, for example, you make a discovery that leads you to anti-gravity? or uh, super longevity. That very well might be something that you wouldn't want to share with the rest of the world. Uh, if that is the case, let's say anti-gravity, which I think is really possible, um, 
you would then have your own scientific new reality at a very classified level and you would have only certain classified scientists who would be aware of this and then they would be their own little community working on their own efforts and it's quite possible that they might start leapfrogging over each other because the way scientific progress works is that one breakthrough could lead to another which might lead to more and more and more and who knows after 30 40 years of this we truly have no idea how vastly ahead of us this clandestine world might be. They could be so far ahead of us that they might, in certain respects, qualify as a separate civilization. What is a civilization, after all? Well, it's something that's characterized by level of your technology, your overall cosmological beliefs, um, you know, your particular style of interaction with each other. Well, in all of these important respects, this classified group might be so different from the rest of us that they might, for all intents and purposes, be considered a separate civilization, or as I put it, a breakaway civilization because they've broken away from our, 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 ours. <laughs> and so what would happen? Uh, this would be a group with technology vastly better than the mainstream world. And then access um, to trillions of dollars if, if you follow this through the way you're, you're, you know you are. Trillions or at least many billions of dollars, absolutely. Um, abilities to explore areas of our world that might be unavailable to the rest of us. Uh, possible interactions or encounters with these non-human intelligences, which might, of course, give them a very different cosmology or, or understanding of the, of the universe. Deeper scientific, deeper cosmological understandings. Maybe a significant built infrastructure. Maybe this is underground that might be off the grid, so to speak, in important ways. All of this would qualify them as a separate group. And so, um, and that doesn't mean that they wouldn't interact with our official civilization. They probably, uh, certainly they do. They have family, they've got relations, they've got uh, neighbors, and but they also have this other, this other group. And so I think what's going to happen is that in a post-disclosure scenario, that this variable, the breakaway group, which is certainly, I think, connected to the majestic uh, group that I do think does exist and that does ex exercise management of, and over this, um, that they're going to come out. They're going to be outed as an, as an organization. And uh, whether this means that they're going to be prosecuted or embraced uh, is, is a whole other issue, and I, I don't really know the answer to that. They, we're going to be angry with them for holding for, for the secrecy, but we may actually be grateful, depending on the specifics of what's going on, that they have, in fact, developed uh, technologies that are very significant that might allow us to deal with a possible hostile situation if that's the case so there's a lot of things going on there uh, but that's that's a concept that I think increasingly uh, this idea of a breakaway civilization I don't think that's going to go away because I think that's actually the case and, and then I'm just going to jump to the Hollywood scriptwriter thing which just you know wrapping my mind around this there must be a level of uh, arrogance and and a, and, a, and a feeling of just being above the common man with the with the kind of secrets and knowledge that they must have given given your definition there right and the and it seems i mean obviously there's secret stuff going on behind closed doors and and uh, and but this this is taken to an entirely new level when you play it right. out that way and the temptation to 
believe that they are, have achieved a sort of godlike status must be, I'm just thinking of, of like the, you know, the, uh, the frailty of, you know, being human, you know, being at that level, and then to sort of act on that godlike status must be very tempting. I, I would agree. Um, we really are going to have to be um, very careful in, in the world of our future, uh, whether or not disclosure happens in the next generation or it doesn't. Um, we have to be very careful that in the future that those, uh, I sometimes refer to them as the masters of the universe, you know, these guys at the top of our food chain, that they won't do that. Uh, certainly, I think we all agree we don't want them to do that. Uh, I think that's uh, certainly not a positive way for humanity to develop. Yeah, very much so. Scary, scary, frightening right. stuff. <clears throat> right. Um, there, there are just so many possibilities of what can happen in a post-disclosure scenario in terms of the political ramifications. Um, one of the things that I think is, has got to be on the table after disclosure is how do we organize ourselves politically as a world? Uh, this really we say for the, the truly penultimate chapter of the book, um, the ninth chapter, which we call Exopolitics Rising, and it's really our attempt to understand how we as a society might choose to organize ourselves in a post-disclosure world. Um, is it going to be the case where uh, the president of the United States, within the, within the U.S. anyway, uh, seeks to uh, take back power in the name of, in the name of the people uh, from, from his erstwhile corporate financial masters, you know, in the breakaway group, maybe, who put him there, the, the minions of David Rockefeller and that. And that <laughs> yes, um, yes. Is, I, it's is very... it possible that, that he might want to? And, and in fact, I don't know. I don't think it's impossible. Uh, certainly, the safe way would be for any president to keep things just as they are and to, and to manage this process in the interests of those people who really do own all the resources of our world. But the fact is, that a lot of things are going to be on the table, and uh, um, it, it very well may be that um, I, I think what we're going to see is in some way a replay of the 1960s only on a global scale. And by that, uh, I would say, you know, in America, the 60s really started with the assassination of John F. Kennedy and then got amplified by the draft for Vietnam, which prompted uh, an entire generation of young people to protest. You had the civil rights thing going on, and there was LSD being introduced. And really what happened in, in the 60s was a, a generational conflict, a, a cultural conflict, in which the new culture essentially tried to throw out the old culture. Uh, and that, that took a long while to kind of work itself out. And I do think that a post-disclosure scenario has a lot of the same potentiality. You'll have the initial shock, in this case of this disclosure, followed in many parts of the world, I bet you, by things like martial law, even if temporary, who knows for how long, um, followed by uh, very probably a younger generation of people living in a reality now in which they suddenly discovered that the worldview of their elders has been complete bullshit for their entire lives, and they might just decide to throw that out and embrace the change and, and see things in a new way. On top of that, I really do personally wonder about uh, the, the potential prevalence of future hallucinogenic uh, drugs, things like uh, ayahuasca, 
for example, which you can freely go to get in South America, which um, which according to people who've taken it allows you to see these other entities and well, DMT God, also, which I guess is DMT, a, yeah, the spirit molecule. I think it's yes. being sometimes called. Absolutely, I was just going to get to that. So both of these, um, I can, I, I would almost. You know, if I were a Vegas bookmaker, I'd put some serious money down that that, in fact, is going to happen. And so what what I guess I'm suggesting is that on a global scale, there is going to be a significant cultural blowback to the established political structure of power as it has existed. And the political authorities are going to have to deal with that. They're either going to put down the, the boot and create a global totalitarian state, and maybe they feel that they'll be able to get away with that, but it won't happen without resistance. Or there will probably be some authorities in some nations that might go with the flow. Could happen. Um, and so what we're going to see is a, is a very wide open situation politically. And it might be a case in which, um, as, as I try to argue, as Bryce and I try to argue in that ninth chapter of, our, of AD, uh, an opportunity for a political leader to, to be like – and Abraham Lincoln to be to really step up and to and to achieve a moment of greatness and to see that this is an opportunity to redefine ourselves in a positive way in in a global sense look the world is moving to globalization we're moving to a global state whether people like it or not it's irrelevant it's happening the only question is what's going to be the nature of this global state and I, I believe that a disclosure scenario would provide a very good opportunity to try to create a democratized uh, power to the people sort of scenario on a global scale. Um, and I think that the realization that there are other intelligences here interacting with us on Earth could very well be an event that would in fact uh, bring people together at least enough so that they might be willing to work together to create such a solution, hopefully a democratic one rather than a, an authoritarian solution. All of these are possibilities, and the, the, the light and the dark are both possible in a future scenario. Uh, we certainly try to, to uh, look at both of these possibilities, but uh, I'll, I'll make no apologies to the fact that I would want to encourage the political leadership to, to take the high path here to take the high road and to try to see this as an opportunity to to create a, a genuinely better world system than what we've been working with and maybe it's possible i don't want to say that it isn't yeah this i mean this it once this once the genie's out of the bottle the the uh you know who knows where it could end up you know what what could happen once the pandora's box is open you're never going to close it again and right. um, and I know you've made the analogy to uh, Gorbachev in in uh, Perestroika, where or was it Glasnost? What was? Uh, well, no, right. Well, Glasnost and Perestroika are really two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It was Gorbachev's attempts in the late '80s to open and liberalize the Soviet Union. Glasnost being openness and Perestroika being restructuring. Uh, what happened? What I've often felt is that um, by you know, that a disclosure event could very well be um, – have the kind of revolutionary effect that Gorbachev's Glasnost had, but only much more so. You know, here's Gorbachev in 1985 coming into power in the Soviet Union. 
talking this completely new game of openness and restructuring and six years later that country no longer existed and what happened i would say is that the process of reform spiraled out of his control the genie uh, the genie was out of the bottle right absolutely once you're starting once you're allowed to talk openly within the country about stalinist oppression and you know the murder of millions of people in the gulag well in hell suddenly the legitimacy of the regime becomes open to question and in the same manner uh, any kind of disclosure is going to throw open the floodgates of, of questioning power as well to the extent that it might be very difficult for them to, to stay in the saddle, so to speak. You know, there's one other uh, uh, implication of disclosure that I, I really feel is worth us getting into, and we haven't discussed it yet. And In some ways, it's really at the center of what this is all about, and that's relating to energy. Um, and we this is here, this is something yeah. that I this is something that I question. I mean, folks like uh, Stephen Bassett will say he'll just connect the dots so smoothly that it just the 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 assumption is you may have a different level of evidence for this than than maybe I do, but um, the assumption is that behind the curtain somewhere is this magical holy grail of free energy. You know, behind the curtain being, you know, this this controlling elite that somehow has right. back engineered stuff from, you know, who know what, you know, crashed where. And right. um and I am very cautious to to trust that that line of that line of speculation. And it bothers me a little bit when people say it. Uh, and, and I will give you a lot of credit, actually, because you are very skilled at speculating. You 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 will uh, quantify your statements with things like you know let, you know this may be the case and such. Where oftentimes people in the arena of the uh, UFO community won't do that. They will say they know this stuff exists behind the curtain. And, right, uh, absolutely. But it, let and, me let me make my case why I do think. Okay, and I'll that, and I'll uh, and I'll be the skeptical energy. listener. Please do. Yes. Um, look. Whatever these objects use to get around on Earth, um, it's not gasoline. So um, whether it's uh, black triangles or silver-colored saucer-type uh, objects that have been seen uh, reliably for more than 60 years, uh, they have the ability to loiter indefinitely, silently, accelerate more or less instantaneously in any direction. Uh, so it's it's fairly evident, I think, that they operate on different principles of uh, of power generation and uh, different, maybe uh, more advanced principles of physics altogether. Now, what would be the source of power? Well, we, we've got a couple of possibilities that people have thought about. Uh, any physicist who's involved in in energy will tell you that one of the key holy grails for decades has been the um, the quest for controlled nuclear fusion. Now, uh, nuclear fusion is different from nuclear fission. If you think of uh, uh, you know, nuclear power in today's world, that's fission. And what that basically means is you take, uh, you take a radioactive atom, you, you tear it to pieces, and in the process of tearing that up, you get a great deal of energy. You also get a lot of uh, radioactivity and, and toxicity. Uh, fusion is different. Fusion is, fusion is the process by which you fuse uh, hydrogen together in uh, into helium, and as the result of that, you get an even greater amount of energy. And this is what happens, in fact, in a hydrogen bomb. But that's not controlled. <laughs> that's 
it's not a control process. What scientists have been trying to do uh, for many years is to create controlled fusion by which you have a safe uh, process of fusion, which the byproduct is simply helium, which is inert and not not an environmental danger as far as we can tell. And the result would be literally clean, abundant energy. Now, um, I've spoken to a number of physicists who say, well, you know, we've been working at this for a long, long time, and we're always 10 to 15 years away. But uh, I don't think that we're always going to be 10 to 15 years away. I do think that it's, it is, in fact, attainable, and most uh, physicists that I've talked to do believe that it's attainable. It's quite possible, in my view, that the, the fundamental power source of these things that we call UFOs is some form of nuclear fusion, a controlled nuclear fusion. And if that is so, all right, um, in a disclosure scenario, it's not going to be a long period of time, I would bet, before we find this out, as we as a society. And if that is the case, if we attain a state of having controlled nuclear fusion, I guarantee you that is going to transform our world absolutely, completely in so many ways. And it will make a lot of things possible that, are, that today are not possible, uh, and a lot of good things, some of the good things being uh, a real practical way of implementing implementing a lot of environmental cleanup. Um, desalinization of water so you don't have water shortages. Uh, as, as Greer, Stephen Greer often likes to put it, make the deserts bloom. Well, actually, that would, that would even be possible. Um, now, there are other holy grails in terms of free energy that may be the case with the UFO phenomenon. Some people talk about uh, the zero-point energy field. I would say maybe. Uh, I've discussed this with, with Hal Puthoff, who knows uh, probably as much about ZPE as anyone around, um, what he would tell you, whether whether he's being truthful or not. But I think – I mean I've, I've had a number of conversations with Hal about this uh, that we're, we're very far away from it, but that it is possible. And by that simply meaning that at the most minute portion of, of, uh, of space that there is, the tiniest, tiniest portion of space, that there's a lot of activity going on there, including matter and antimatter coming into existence and annihilating each other with a, a tiny in exchange of energy at that level, which theory is that can be tapped. And if that's so, then you've got, well, voila, free energy. Um, there's a downside to having free energy, by the way. And I would think that you know we, there's about. six billion people on the planet, and and to have free energy, um, I just yeah, I don't know what yeah. that means. You know, does that mean you have like a, a, well, a amazing of, tool to cut down trees, or suddenly a bunch of uh, 150, 200 pound termites running around the planet, billions of us? Uh, right. Well, it could be. Now the uh, the argument against that would simply be, with free energy, we wouldn't need to engage in the kinds of resource depletion. And environmental destruction that we're currently engaging in. I suppose that's possible, but the other the other side's also possible. And um, having more energy is not always a, a good thing for the global environment. Look, I mean, for 150 years, you might argue petroleum has been a form of free energy. And, and look what happened to the Earth in the last 150 years, where we've we've uh, you know the amount of suburban sprawl and the amount of that 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 uh, that line on the flowchart of of. Absolutely. You know, mimics our ability to uh, populate the Earth. You know that that was. Right. You know that. Th totally that... agree. I totally agree. And so these are, these are legitimate issues, and and the reason that we connect them to disclosure uh, is, I mean, look, even without disclosure, I would argue that we're, we're headed toward 
a new energy paradigm at some point in our society. But the, the thing that's going to make disclosure so interesting is that it's going to accelerate that. And it's also going to make it probably a more dramatic transition from a petroleum-driven economy to something else. Um, and, you know, moving away from petroleum, this is something that I personally have been very interested in looking at for a while. I'm sure a lot of people are. It's it's not it's not going to be without serious problems. Um, you know, the whole world loves and hates petroleum. Uh, we, we need it and we despise it. We know all the bad things that it does. We know everyone's followed what happened with BP in the Gulf of Mexico. And, and just even aside from that, the pollution and the um, – um, the wars that are fought because of petroleum. Um, we know that we need to move off of it, but doing so is not an easy thing. Uh, the entire global economy is is intimately connected to petroleum. We don't call petrodollars petrodollars or nothing. Um, petroleum un- is the single largest industry in the world, and so. Anything that's going to move us away from a petroleum-based economy is not going to be without serious financial, global financial and economic uh, repercussions, including probably all kinds of panic selling, stock market, um, people changing their portfolios like dramatically, losing fortunes, especially those people at the very top of our society, and they're the most invested in petroleum to begin with. So uh, this is a problem for those people. And it will be a problem on the global economic scale, probably for a good decade or more uh, as we transition away from a petroleum-based economy. And it's going to be accompanied by all kinds of political repercussions, undoubtedly. Um, It's not just a slam dunk. We know that down the future, 100 years from now, we need to be off of petroleum as our primary source of energy. But going from from here to there, that's going to be a problem. And and disclosure is going, I think – to um, to force that transition in a way that's not going to be pleasant for all of us right away. But I do think, yeah, there's let, let's call it free energy. I think that uh, the UFO phenomenon offers pretty good evidence for the fact that there's some solution to the question of how to replace fossil fuels. I mean, whatever they use, they're using something. And I have a feeling in a post-disclosure scenario – uh, we're going to find it. Yep, maybe, and and we'll, or we'll certainly be thrust in that direction. Now, this is where it gets strange. Now, I have, um, I would love to just go through a few points and just sort of speculate with you because you're very mm-hmm. skilled sure. at it. Uh, one of the 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 focus of my uh, passions of the last few years have been to talk with people directly, claim the contact experience, and there is a form of uh, like oh, I want to say, like out and out mind control that takes place. You sit in a circle at a at a UFO uh, support group, and mm-hmm. everyone shares stories where they say this. This is this is this is. I'm paraphrasing, but it comes up over and over again. They say, um, "I feel like I've been given some job, some task, some duty, yeah. and I right. don't know what it is, and I feel like." And there's a sense of urgency related to this where, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, uh, the the uh, disclosure event will be taking place soon. And this is what these people are picking up on. That that That's one way to read it. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but there is a sense of, of and I'm going to use the term we because I have had that sense also, that there is a 
out-and-out mission that we are supposed to perform at some point and whether that means we're going to bring christ consciousness to to you know all humanity or mm-hmm. whether it means we know like uh how to cure radiation poisoning in the event of a of a some sort of catastrophe um i don't know what the answer is but that comes up over and over again and i and i and i think that if there is a disclosure event mm-hmm. i'm just going to speculate that i feel there will be a lot of people coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, like, I have to perform this important duty right now. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And I, and I mean, you could be. Yeah. And you've must have heard some of these stories. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Many. Yeah. Uh, and, and a few in, in a great amount of detail. Uh, this is not something that I write about, but certainly, um, yeah, I um, actually sort of hinted at some of it at uh, parts of the book. Um I'm pretty sure I put out the speculation about um, the uh, the breakaway group or the majestic group employing uh, – doing military abductions. And one of the things that I think that they do is uh, they use people that they identify as having psychic gifts. I think they're very interested in these people. Uh, as are the others, the the ETs or whatever with whatever they are. And they also, I believe, identify certain people who who they say well, they believe have psychic gifts, and they're and these people are of great interest to uh, to the majestic group and to the to the others. And and also, I'll just go back to so you sit in a circle at a at an abductee support group, and you ask the question to everyone in the group. You say. Like who feels that they have psychic gifts in the circle, and ev- all of them. every single person will raise their hand. And Melinda Leslie yeah. has, and as well as Yvonne Smith has gone down this avenue trying to figure out whether the people have psychic gifts. You know, which came first, the abduction or the psychic gift? And and there's no good answer. It seems like they both are interacting at the same time, where the people who have the abduction uh, experience in their life also are very psychically skilled and and right and this right. and i'll and i'll this is another avenue to speculate on is uh there are people that having gone through this and talked to a lot of folks uh something that comes up over and over again it's very controversial and some people won't touch it but people say they channel they say like oh i'm capable of interacting with these with these beings from another realm Um, And so on one level, we already have our emissaries. We already have a a communication, if this is to be believed, we already have communication lines that are open right now. Mm -hmm. And and what happens to, you know, when they say, oh, you know, this disclosure event has taken place, and then there are people that say, like, oh, I can talk to these aliens, just I can sit down on my, you know, and take a few deep breaths, and I'll be able to to channel directly to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I absolutely that's going to happen. The the issue that's always going to be the case as as it is today as it will be I think in the future is how to verify or how to confirm that uh, these communications are legitimate. Uh, that's always the issue. Uh, I don't doubt for an instant that there are people with psychic gifts and um I know many of them, and I also don't doubt that it's possible for someone even to do something as crazy sounding as channeling. Um I've met a lot of fakers, though. So, uh, at least in my own opinion, and and this is one of the things that'll come up, and the frauds are going to come forward, and and oftentimes right. the frauds have got really big mouths. So, yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, I guess one of the the real takeaway points of this book that we've written is that 
you know, disclosure is not going to solve a lot of the problems. It's not even going to tidy up uh, a lot of the problems in all likelihood. It might make things a lot messier. Um, and so then you might be asking yourself, well, then why bother at all? And my answer again and again is that it has nothing to do with what we want. Okay, we are on a we're on a train that's on a track, and that track is going somewhere, and that track is leading to disclosure. Um, it's it's not like we even have a lot of ability to stop it. Like, how how do you stop your development as a society, as a civilization? How do you stop science? How do you stop developments, new developments in your own consciousness? You can't. We can't. We are moving in a direction and this disclosure is happening whether we like it or not it's not going to be the answer to all of our problems it's going to open up a whole new range of problems but the one thing it will do is it will take us probably to the next level of awareness that we probably need to be in this universe that's it and then and then coming from my interactions with folks if these entities, these non-human entities arrive, and if the implications are followed through with these hybrid beings, and I'm just, I'm, this is pure speculation, I'm, I'm, I'm picking and choosing my data from, you know, extremely fringy sources that, that would be hard to be respected, but, but I've just seen the pattern show up. Uh, right. There is the implication that basically we'll wake up one morning and uh, and there's all kinds of, of mythology associated and, and urgency associated with for instance 2012 but and and that seems to be the focal point for a lot of people's uh, yeah. you know drama here you know that we will wake up one morning with you know on the grandest level you know Christ consciousness will just will just you know be anointed mm-hmm. almost and will will have a spiritual beauty and and uh, and all will be magnificent um, you know let's assume that that doesn't play out exactly that way um but uh on some level what if we all wake up with a heightened level of esp or a heightened level of you know the ability to communicate telepathically Uh, okay i just think that the the implications here that is a in essence forced form of evolutionary uh, expansiveness, and, and I hate using all these new agey terms, but I'm just using them because those are the ones that that uh, I just see being used over and over again. You know, I've been playing sort of devil's advocate during this whole talk, right. but at the same time, you know, it could be, it'll be no doubt, it'll be very dramatic, and and the uh, gut feeling I have is that these other things will be taking place. These uh, these higher spiritual changes will be taking place. Well, I I would like that to happen, and um, I would not say that it won't. Um, I, I'm, I've always been a bit skeptical of the uh, the claim, though, that say, come December twenty first, twenty twelve, we um, we wake up and we somehow have this higher awareness. My own understanding of consciousness. I I, I am a great believer in attempting to expand consciousness. Uh, if I have any personal philosophy it's it's one of zen and i'm uh, uh to me zen is all about consciousness it's all about awareness and waking up from your ordinary uh you know dream of reality in which we kind of sleepwalk our way through lives through our lives um so i i can understand that uh but as i see consciousness as i understand it consciousness takes effort uh higher consciousness takes desire and effort and it's not just something that happens uh 
the, the thing that I often see in this uh, wider movement among people who are who believe that we're going to achieve a new consciousness is that they're just going to do it the easy way. It's it's like, you know, go back to the 60s and drop acid, why don't you? Is that's another way to try to do it the easy way. I think true higher consciousness takes effort. Why do you think all of these adepts all these centuries and thousands of years focus and practice? They they meditate. They don't do this because it's fun. They do it because attaining a level of higher consciousness and awareness takes concerted effort over really many years. Um I, I I feel like a lot of the uh, the people who talk about automatically attaining higher awareness, it's they, they're lazy. And they and, just and want I agree. It given and, to them. and I agree. Now I will also say that I have talked to a great number of people who you know in no uncertain terms said you know like oh I had this UFO abduction experience and then I started hearing these you know magical voices. Now this sounds like delusional paranoia and such, but uh, and then they started channeling. And so in essence, it did right. come easy for them. So, so this all gets thrown into okay, the mix, yeah. and, and that's true. And I don't know yeah, the and, I don't have yeah. any good answer at all. But it is it is a, like a line of speculation. I'm I'm very fascinated by. And just because I've co-authored a book on this doesn't mean that I have every answer either. No, I, I understand, uh, and, we, I, and I'm purposely throwing is, these harder yeah. questions at you just to just to see how it goes. We we try to ask some good questions. We try to answer some good questions, and there's a, certainly an awful lot that uh, is not going to be answered, and it's not going to be asked until it happens uh, you know i am um, i'm a student of history and i'm i've uh, been very aware of various attempts in the past to try to predict the future um two of my favorite 19th century writers uh, edgar allan poe and hg uh, wells both attempted their own futuristic scenarios poe wrote a story in the year 1848 in which he looked ahead 1000 years in the future in the year 2848 uh, the the short story was a series of letters written by the the main person in the story, and he was writing these letters to a friend of his from uh, the greatest and latest of method of transportation in the world a thousand years ahead, and this was through high speed high altitude balloons going at one hundred <laughs> miles per hour, one hundred miles per hour. Now, um, it's a kind of a cool story, actually, and really it's it's more of a, a commentary, of course, on Poe's own society of 1848 than anything else. But the point being, you think of a guy like Edgar Allan Poe who had such a great imagination, um, and his best ability to foresee the technology of a thousand years ahead was balloons that move at really fast speeds by the – by the standards of the day. Uh, that was the best he could do, and, and I'm not faulting him for it because it's hard to foresee these things. Uh, Wells is an even better example. Wells wrote War of the Worlds in the year 18 – I think it was 1894. And now in that, of course, you have Martians coming to Earth in an invasion scenario. And here's the thing. Now, that's it's a brilliant book. Uh, Wells was able to predict a lot of things in the future. He predicted poison gas, for example, uh, which was not being used at the time, and a number of other types of technologies. But one thing he couldn't predict and didn't predict, even though he was only one decade away, was flight, mechanical flight. These aliens in their, cre in their craft did not fly around in flying saucers. No, they walked around on tripods. Yeah. Okay? And, I mean, to me, that's just an incredible statement. H.G. Wells was not just a great visionary. He was a man who had a really good understanding of science, and he could not see flying machines uh, of a mechanical nature. So there you go.
predicting the future, if we're guilty of anything, often we're guilty of not being radical enough in what we foresee in the future. And that could very well be, uh, I think, I'm sure in a lot of the things that Bryce and I have written, uh, if slash when this happens, we'll, we'll, some historian's going to look back and say, oh, well, look at this book. They try to predict it. Oh, my God, they got everything wrong. <laughs> oh, then maybe that one little thing they actually got pretty good. So, you know, if, if that happens, I'll be, I'll be happy if we get a little bit right. Good. Good. Hey, this has gone great. It's we're coming up on two hours here, and and um, excellent. Which and I'll let you go here. There's a couple questions I just want to ask, and you can give very brief answers. Got it. So, if I was in the secret government and I wanted to mess with uh, you know people doing UFO research, I would uh, potentially have you know millions and millions of dollars at my fingertips. And if I was tasked, I mean, I think that would actually be one of the more fun jobs you know in the basement of the Pentagon. I mean, you know, that one of the things you could get a little memo from the main office and says, basically says, mess with Richard Dolan. And uh, have you sensed that at all? And uh, doing your research? Um, Maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, I've certainly, how do I put this in a way that's not, doesn't sound more provocative than it is. I, I am quite sure that I have been uh, observed in my work, Uh, observed or monitored, let's say. I, Maybe one day I will be able to describe this in a way that actually is uh, going to be coherent and I'll be able to, to talk about. But I will tell you that there's no doubt in my mind that this has been the case, that I've, uh, for whatever reasons, uh, gotten the uh, attention of the powers that be in the clandestine world. Uh, does that mean they've messed with me? Um I think the answer, in my own opinion at this point, is is realistically no. I don't think that they've stopped me from doing my work. I don't think that they've tried to um, to distract me in the doing of my work. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think that I'm wrong on that. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that the UFO research community has been subject to intelligence community operations since forever, since the 1950s. At the sure, least. I agree. Uh, I've talked to a number of other researchers um, about this, and yes, I believe that's absolutely the case. So as for myself, I know that I've been monitored, uh, and the question that uh, the question comes down to whether or not they've been trying to mess with me. I will tell you this. When uh, a year ago, a little over a year ago, when I was finishing volume two of UFOs and the National Security State, um, both of my computers, my, my PC and my laptop, within one day of each other, I was less than one month away from being done with my book. Both of them died one day after the next. Um, thank God. I mean I was very good at backing up my files on uh, external hard drives and flash drives. I didn't lose anything. But had I not done that, I actually would have lost my entire book. So here's my scary. here's my final question. And um And first of all, thanks so much for for all the time and this has been great. And uh so you, as as doing this sort of research, I mean, there's a continuum, right? There's a line. On one end of the line is a, a piece of data that you can look at, you know, a government file, a, a person you can right. talk to that that uh, seems very credible and has uh, oh, can tell you stories about, uh, you know, what's going on. It's a skunk works exactly. or something like that. So, um, and on the other end of the spectrum is extremely fringy stuff. Uh, right. You know, people talking about uh, other dimensions and people talking about uh, stuff that would be very easy to dismiss. 
And how exactly. how do you keep yourself centered on that continuum? And 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 are you leaning more towards one and the other? And is is there an evolution taking place? You know what you what you treat as data. And I know that um, Stanton Friedman used the term gray basket for this data right. that he is not quite sure of. Exactly. These are this is an outstanding question, Mike. And uh, you know the the answer is one has to decide where we stake our claim. This is a, a topic that is is so transformative. It so, goes so far beyond our understanding of reality that uh, we have to understand that a lot of it is going to be beyond what we consider currently to be acceptable conventional reality. And so to really grasp it, uh, I think properly, we're going to have to go way beyond our comfort zone. Now, having said that, uh, as a as a public thinker and writer on this topic, I made a decision when I entered this field to uh, to try to to open up uh, lines of communication with the mainstream skeptical world. In order to do that effectively, uh, you, you by definition you have to limit uh, the, the way that you talk about this. You have to. Um, now we talked earlier in this discussion about Leslie Kane and I mentioned Nick Pope. I, I would say that those two of, the, of the, the prominent people that I know in this field have have really staked out the most conservative but yet responsible, um, you know, territory in ufology to speak with with the absolute mainstream, uh, and and in that basis, I'm I'm a I'm close to them, but I'm not really where they're standing. I'm a little bit farther, and the reason that I am is that I I deal with political implications, which are are not amenable to uh, what mainstream media is willing to discuss. Uh, I'm always willing to talk about the cover up, and and uh, as much as I like Leslie and Nick, that's they just don't do that. Okay, that's not their their thing. I do that, and so that puts me a little bit further along the spectrum. I've also been willing more and more over the years to look at some other kind of crazy things you might say whether that's remote viewing yes i'm very interested in that whether that means dealing with the possibilities of dimensions um and a lot of the other elements of this phenomenon that are that are uh not polite dinner topic conversation so uh am i evolving i don't know um what i'm trying to do is to to still speak to the mainstream to the greatest extent possible to try to engage the, the world in uh, in thinking about this. But uh, at the same time, yes, I'm trying to do justice to some of the really, really difficult uh, conceptual and philosophical elements of this problem um, and to try to understand what they mean too. All, all we can do is our best. Uh, I would still, you know, compared with most people who write about this, uh, I think that I... Probably, uh, as a public writer anyway, on the more conservative side and how I position myself than otherwise. But uh, I'm certainly uh, not afraid to swim in the deep waters as well as walk along the shallow waters. So uh, I, I don't know if that's really a good No, that's great. That's question. great. And, and I, the reason I ask is because, you know, part of my uh, evolution has been uh, – I – immediately just go to the absolute craziest fringiest stuff i can find and then <laughs> and then try to make sense of it try to say right. like you know is this a sociological thing is this something based on fact is this something based on on well, yeah. someone's someone's interpretation of something you know you know bleeding through from another dimension so right. um, great right. hey thank you so much 
Mike, it was a fabulous interview. I had a great, great time uh, being here with you. You asked some really excellent questions. Good, good. And, and um, hey, let me just say, I just talked to Natasha this morning. And uh, oh, you... she's so nice. Yes. So I just wanted. She said, "Say hello to 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 you." And I also wanted to say, um, "Say hello to uh, Karen for me." I certainly will. And then I also certainly. heard you met my pal Anya. She's actually oh in New York City in New in, York in City. Brooklyn? She would have she's been in Brooklyn. Cool. She's super well, cool. Yeah, and she... she was trying to get me to talk to Aaron McCollum, and I I haven't yet. Was he there? Done that? No, no. But they're they're good friends. They are good uh, friends, and a, I'm actually very I, good friends with Anya. And she, when I'm referencing all this stuff about channeling and all this stuff about other dimensions, I, you right. know, it's, it's I'm speaking about her in essence, you know, because she is my sort of direct conduit to the to the really weird well, stuff. I, I'll tell you, I had a very nice conversation with her. She's very smart, really good person. Uh, got a very good vibe. More, uh, she wants me to talk to Aaron McCollum, and I. Um, if you're familiar with his story, he's, and I am familiar with his yeah, story, yep. yeah, he's got a lot of very very wild things to say. And, and I've been this is that's been sort of my avenue of study in a way is is these fo- you know these people who have claims because I, I guess I'm trying to create like a unified field theory around you know these these uh, claims that are so outrageous uh, that that they that you know my immediate response in my gut is to say you know like oh no that's impossible and just kind of put my foot down exactly um, exactly but but and, the longer one stays in this field the more you realize it's not necessarily impossible it's not impossible and it just doesn't it, you know maybe you at least have to sit down and engage in conversation with with these folks that that um that you, you that anytime you have that knee-jerk reaction this is me talking anytime i have that knee-jerk reaction right. a, a little alarm bell goes off in my head and i say no you know, just because that alarm bell goes off, I'm instead instead of walking away, I'm going to walk towards the the the, uh, the strange issue and see see yeah. at least and see at least what it's all about. So, it's very zen of you, sir. Good. Hey, um, thanks so much. <laughs> and and I'll in uh, I'm probably going to be down at uh, it's not Laughlin now, it's whatever it is, the Open Minds Forum version of the uh, yeah uh, uh, Scottsdale, I believe. Yeah, great. I so I'll so see you maybe in in uh, four months or so. Oh, absolutely. I look forward to it, and I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. You have a good one. I really enjoy this a lot. We'll talk some more. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, I just want to do a short follow-up at the end here. I was super happy with that conversation. Uh, that guy Rich is one skilled uh, talker, man. That guy knows how to make his point. Uh, I felt like I had a list of things I wanted to ask him about, and I got to most of them. And I think my thoughts on the grand disclosure event differ from Rich's in the sense that I, I I don't think I can be as optimistic as Rich is being in his portrayal. Uh, some of the stuff he portrays is, uh, you know, very challenging and very confusing. But uh, I worry that this event, which a lot of people in this exopolitics movement see as a oh, like a, the end game, like that's the solution, that's the grand goal of this whole exopolitics disclosure movement is is just the that the president's going to walk on stage and there's going to be this magical uh the truth will be revealed and and uh in munificence will follow uh geez that's naive i i don't think rich is portraying that at all in his book uh he definitely sees this as very complicated and very challenging he doesn't shy away from that in the book um, but he does talk about it as being inevitable. It would be difficult for me to try to articulate my feelings on this because it's all just gut stuff. But I I sense 
there's a big potential for this to be a lot darker than than what rich portrays and i try to stick with that in in the in my line of questioning um but the book is worth reading two very smart guys speculating on something uh that very well might be inevitable and speculating at a really high level uh, i feel like they 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 uh, worked hard to include a lot of things in the checklist if you've made it this far thank you so much and i hope you enjoyed it bye bye